Hello and welcome to the AGSB Sports Podcast. I'm Scott Meakin, Head of Sport, and today we have with us Graham Heathcote, Alt-FC legend, AGSB football coach and now groundsman. How are we doing, Graham? I'm doing fine, yeah. Doing the best you can in the circumstances. Cutting my grass, making sure it's in good shape in case. Is it is in good condition as the school playing fields? Yeah, we're getting there with it. We're getting there. I go in every Friday um, on a rotor basis, really, and, and I pop in a couple of mornings a week, a couple of hours, just to stay on top of things, really. So if the lads Keep do up. come back, uh, we, we can get on with a bit of outdoor sport. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the plan at the moment, isn't it? So what's yeah, the um, what's the community spirit like around your area? Very, very good. Everyone's clapping on Thursday nights. They had a uh, bit of a street party sort of thing the other day on the VE day. But everyone was obviously kept the distance, but people was just outside their houses with a table and a few drinks and what have you. So, yeah, it's good. Everyone's doing what they can do. And I don't know, you just got to plod on, haven't you, until we get through the thing. Yeah, you have. We have. You watch any. Um... Box sets or anything like that. Do you know what I'm into? I've got into podcasts. I don't know how you do it because Sam set me up on this, but on the television, I'm into all sorts of um, like gangster podcasts, you know, from the mafia days in America in the 70s and all that. Man, I think it's um, Anything Goes, it's called. So I've been watching a lot of them. And obviously, I've got I've got into YouTube as well, which I never could do before. Um, so I'm onto YouTube with all sorts of things now, watching all sorts of football and sport from the 70s and I don't know, I'm getting pretty well educated here. Getting a um, bit of a tech tech whiz kid. I won't say that, I won't say that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm certainly into YouTube now and certainly into these podcasts and uh, how the mafia operated and all things like that. Not very good for your oh. education, really, it's all good. <laughs> We're learning a few new things, a yeah. new trick. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you find yourself at... Alti Grammar, you've done a bit of, you've done some football coaching for us. Um, you obviously look after the grounds for us as well. But one just gets to know um, a little bit about your education, your background. So, what school did you go to, and what was it like? Well, <laughs> as a youngster, I was at Saint Clement's Primary School and Junior School, which was in Ermston. Uh, had the most horrendous football kit you ever seen in your life. You couldn't see any of his socks. The shorts went below the knees. The football shirts were just Big, and I mean big squares, all too big for me, because I was a very, very tiny kid at school. My nickname was Nipper, and that was till I left school at 16. And from there, I went to the uh, wonderful school called Wellacre. Um, Wellacre. My education. Wellacre, yeah, that's where I went uh, for five years. Got on with all my sport there. Was was PE your favourite subject, or was there anything else you enjoyed? Well, the only... I've got to tell you the truth. The only GCSE I got was in history. And the teacher said to me, how did you pass that? And I said, uh, I don't know, whatever I've looked at on the bus coming into school must have been the questions. So <laughs> so that was the only GCSE, which I'm not proud of. Um, but uh, other than that, I just, I just seem to be sport. All sports, to be fair. I, I played an awful lot of sport, football. I played rugby for a year as a little scrum half. Ditto. Cricket, right. I'm well into, well into my cricket. Table tennis, badminton, I like to play them. Chess, I was good at chess. Well, yeah. Yeah, I should join the chess club at school, really, shouldn't I? But I never have. That's a long time ago, but I used to enjoy it, yeah. yeah. You, so, were you a mouthy scrum half? Most, most scrum halves are a bit, well, bit was, gobby. Were you... I've always been a bit gobby with my sport, I'm afraid. Um, so, yeah, I was. <laughs> I, mean, I don't call it gobby, I call it directional. 
have to give it information to uh, my colleagues, shall we say, whether it be football or whether it be, be rugby. I enjoyed rugby, though, to be fair. Well, there was no rugby at Wellacre when I first started. The fella called Mr Young came and he sort of said, okay. it, he set it up. Um, so finding lads to play was difficult. And why I went for one year to rugby, I'll never know, but I did. Uh, and then, and a... I really enjoyed it. I'll tell you the thing I didn't enjoy at Wellacre, the slipper. <laughs> or, the, or the cane. Well, that, like boys are watching, listening to this, and they think, "What's he on about?" Well, he used to get the cane occasionally, and they slip it a bit more regularly. So, uh, uh, well, learning to be a good boy. Yeah. Well, I suppose other than the slipper and the cane, um, how else did the education differ from what uh, you see now at AGSB compared to AGSB now? Oh, bad. The boys at the AGSB are obviously very, very clever boys and obviously work very, very hard. You can see that with the results they come out with the, in the GCSEs and the A-levels. Whereas, unfortunately, I wasn't that clever and didn't work that hard, which was, he's a, since nearly 66 now, he realises a big, big mistake. Um, that the, boys, the boys at AGSB are far cleverer than I ever was. Yeah. What do you mean? Any... What do you mean, yeah? <laughs> well, <laughs> not meant to I'm just referring back to the slipper and the cane. There oh. must have been. Oh, must have been slipper. Mr. Olden used to have the slipper. He had a name for that. I forget it. It was like a boy's name. Huh? He used to say when you'd misbehave, do you want to meet so and so? Let's quite say it was James. Do you want to have a meeting with James? Oh, no, sir. No. If you don't mind, no. <laughs> oh, dear. I right. your slip, I'll see your name your slipper, James. Eh? <laughs> yeah, no. Let's have a chat about your sport. Obviously, we've alluded to all the FC and football, uh, and you've said about playing a, a lot of a plethora of different sports as you came up through school. Well, let's start at um, secondary school and with your football, uh, and just give us a brief little history of who you played for, what position you played in, and, and where it led you to. Yeah, well, I was always in midfield. Uh, always played in the school teams. I was fortunate enough to get in the school teams every year. Um, now, in them days, you've got Trafford schools now, haven't you? But in them days, you used to have a, the teams was called Stretford Boys. Um, and I came under that category. So I was sent for trial for Stretford Boys a year ahead of my time. So I probably like some current year nines playing in year tens. Got into Stretford Boys, playing the same team as uh, Tony Whelan, who was, went on to have a good career and was the academy assistant academy manager at uh, Manchester United. He's just, just retired, I think. Um, so I played for Stretford Boys, which is like the... Uh, the combination of all the schools, shall we say. Um, yeah. A couple of Sunday sides. I had some great names on my Sunday side. Woods End Rangers and Flixton Flyers. They were my Sunday side. Very successful sides. Um, but that was my secondary education, really, uh, in terms of football. Goal with school teams and Stretford boys. Outside of that, uh, there, was, there was no other honour. They played for England school boys or anything like that. Did you play... Um... Sunday league with some of the fellows that I play golf with, Billy Borton, uh, the Chuffs. No, I, I didn't. I didn't play football with them. I, I went. I used to when I was manager at Alton playing at Alton. I used to go and watch a lot of Sunday football, and Billy Borton uh, was running a very, very successful Sunday league side. That's how I know him. Uh, but no, uh, I, okay. I, I didn't play football with them. No. Uh, so from your from your uh, schoolboys, Stratford boys, and your your Sunday league, when did you start realising actually, you know what, I could I could get pretty far with the old football. Well, I, I sort of I, I got invited to the trials for the youth team. I was I actually took a year off junior football. My dad said you need to go and play adult football. I was only like sixteen. Did you need to go and play adult football to open you up a little bit? Um, so I went and played for Shell. Um, they had a, they had a works team sort of thing. They played every Saturday. The pitches were fantastic in that league. Um, 
So I went and played for them for a year. Anyway, Ultra had youth team trials and I wasn't obviously playing in them leagues that they picked from. But I went down with my mates who were still playing sort of youth team football. And they just said, look, you're here, you want to play. So I played in the trial and uh, I got uh, selected to carry on, shall we say. Um, so I had a big decision to play then because I was playing cricket as well at the same time from about 13, 14 years of age. I played at Flixton Cricket Club. Um, yeah. And I played forward to play cricket. So I think my last game was when I was about 64 or something for the over 40 side. Um, so I loved my cricket. I really did. And I was quite good at cricket, to be fair. Um, I had a decision to make because I was asked to go down to Lancashire when I was about 16. Um, but the football, in them days, you sort of played football in winter and cricket in the summer. Um, but the, yeah. the two were going to overlap. So I had to make a bit of a decision because Altrim asked me to stay on and uh, get involved with the first team training and things like that. So I chose the football. Uh, and if I'm honest, I probably chose wrong because I was probably better at cricket than I was at football. Um, but anyway, really? I, yeah, I, was, I was decent cricket. I scored a lot of runs. And with, with the football and being reasonably fit, I was reasonably quick, you know, between the wickets. I never ran 22 yards. I learned very early to, to run the distance, <laughs> run your batting. And uh, to make it yeah. 18 yards instead of 22, sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed my cricket in life. But uh, I, the Ulti offered me a you know, contract, sort of thing. I played. But then when I was 17, I think I made my debut. Um, they offered me the. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a funny story really. I got offered on the Thursday night to sign for Altrim. A fellow called Freddie Pye, very well known in. We used to have a scrap metal yard in Altrim with uh, Albert Quick, so he used to play for Man United. Um, and he said, we want to sign you, son. Um, we're going to give you £8 a week, which I thought was fantastic because I was then working at Salford Docks and I was getting £5 a week. So to get £8 a week on top of that was fantastic. And he said to me, you've got any problems, son? You come and see me. A very well-known figure, Freddie Pye. I said, oh, thank you, Mr. Pye. This was like 10 o'clock on a Thursday night. We used to train Tuesday, Thursday nights. Uh, so I'm on the bus next day going off to work at Salford Docks. And... Uh, I read the headlines and Freddie Pye had left Altrincham and uh, gone and joined the board at uh, Wigan Athletic with Bobby Charlton. So, <laughs> so I learned a very early lesson. <laughs> Don't believe everything that you're told in football because uh, less than 12 hours later, he'd gone. But uh, I'm saying that to his bedroom <laughs> whenever I've seen him at maybe a function or something. So he'd say to me, OK, Graham, any problems? No, Mr Pye, I'm OK. <laughs> so then, yeah, I got, I got playing for Altrincham's youth team then. So, uh, sorry, yeah. Altrincham's first team then. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, what your dad said about going to play um, men's football early age. You see it at schoolboy level when they get to year 11, 12, 13. As soon as they start playing open age sport, whether it's cricket, football, rugby, hockey, they do progress a lot quicker, a lot quicker rate. Even the physicality, not, not just the physicality, but also the, the things they pick up from the older the older well, players. It, it, it brings them to mouth. Well, football at the top level, for use of A and B teams. And that was all a part of the younger lads mixing up with older pros and maybe a top, top player, shall we say, coming back from injury, were playing those games. So as a youngster, you'd be in with proper pros, shall we say, and maybe a top player, top first player who was coming back. And you'd learn you'd learn from the experience would be uh, fantastic for you. So unfortunately, a lot of it's health and safety. Now, they, they can't take that route, can they? But it, it certainly didn't do me any harm. And I'm sure it didn't do anybody else any harm that sort of played in that scenario. But... Uh, the way it is is the way it is, isn't it? Of course it is. So you've um, you've obviously played for a, a number of coaches and managers throughout your Sunday league, your, your school and, and off into Alti um, FC. Is there one coach or manager that stands out as being 
more memorable than the rest or helped you out a bit more than the, the rest? Well, the fellow that stands out for me, obviously, it's a man that played for under altering and where we won an awful lot. I mean, there was a fellow called Roy Reese, who's not the one I was gonna, I'm going to say, but he, he came up from Bangor University in 1972-73 and built a side where we went on to play Everton in the FA Cup. And then I always remember it because he left and he signed a 10-year contract to go and set up um, youth team football in America. And he was very instrumental in, in getting football off the ground in America. And he was a very, very knowledgeable tactical coach. Not great man, man management, but his actual tactical awareness was fantastic. A better man manager was, was actually his assistant when he became manager, a fellow called Tony Sanders. Um, and that, right. Under him, we went on to win. Well, well we won the league twice, um, which was then days you, could, you couldn't get in the football league like you can now. Um, it was a voting system. So you went to a voting system and we... We lost by one vote because all the old third and fourth division clubs used to vote for themselves to keep themselves in. So we went out the following year, won the league again. Sorry, we lost by we lost by one vote. So yeah, went out the following year, won the league again. Went to the voting system, which was always in London after the season had finished, and we lost by eight votes. And we had a chairman oh, called wow. Noel White, um, very well known Altrincham person, which had just died recently. God bless him. Um, so he decided that was enough. He's never going to get into football league sort of thing. He went off and became eventually become the chairman at Liverpool. But Sony Sanders football wise, he, he built a really good side. Also, were then in them days were known as like the Man United of non-league football. They used to go out and get the the best players he could, buy them sort of thing. I was the local lad, so obviously I wasn't bought in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and we built we built yeah. a great side. Went FA Cup fourth round, third round, four years running. Went to Wembley twice. I mean, to play at the old Wembley, I'll tell you, was the most fantastic feeling. It really was coming up that tunnel. That's what I say. I'm into YouTube now and I watch old old games, old finals. I like yeah. the 1966 World Cup the other day. And to see him walk up that tunnel, I know I've actually made that walk and up those steps. It was a wonderful feeling. I can imagine. I can, we'll get, we might get on to it. We might touch on that later yeah. on, uh, some of the things you've given uh, you. How long did uh, you play under Tony? Uh, well, he took over in 76 um, when Roy Reese went to America. And, oh no, I tell you, like, the, the fellow took over Roy, Roy Reese, a fellow called Les Rigby. And he actually, we played at Everton and drew there 1 1. And this, Roy went off to America and a fellow called Les Rigby came in and decided he'd been released five of us. And we'd only just, like I say, Everton were top of the old first division at the time. And they beat us in the replay 2 0 at Old Trafford. Uh, but anyway, he released us um, mid-season. I went off to play for Northwich Victoria for a, well, I was there for about 10 months, I suppose. And Tony Saunders ended up coming back, because Glesbury only lasted about 10 months. Tony Saunders came back as manager, and I came back to Altrincham as a player. So probably in 96, uh, 76, 77. And he was there till probably 84. Um, and that period was the oh. most successful ever. Right. So... What happened that made you move from being a player uh, to a manager? I guess it was just a natural progress. One, I got offered the assistant manager's job at Runcorn to a lad called John King. You, I played a lot of football with at all. He was, a, he was a well, he's a legend at Altrincham as well. He's a you know leader of men, no question about that. And he got the uh, yeah. the Runcorn job. He was manager at Altrincham and he won at Wembley and uh, in '86. And he left the following day, the Sunday, and took over at Runcorn and asked me to go as assistant. Now, by then, my legs had begun to go. I was never, I was, I was reasonably quick. I was quick when in cricket when I played with people like that who were never that fit. But I was never, I'm not yeah. compared to people I played football with. I wasn't quick 
Uh, I was medium pace, shall we call it. Um, so he, he offered me the chance to go as his assistant manager. I was 31 and I knew my legs were going a little bit. Uh, I'd left Alty. I had one, one season playing for Witten Albion and they got 42 points Witten Albion that season and I got 46 points. Discipline, disciplinary <laughs> points. So I thought my, my legs are going a bit here. It's time to, to sort of take a different route. So I, got, I went and became assistant manager to John and, and we stayed as a pair for oh, long, long, over 20 odd years. So, um, what was your path then from Runcorn into the Ollie FT manager role? Oh, blimey, the role from Runcorn. Well, I, I came back to Ollie twice with John as him as manager, me as assistant, um, built some good sides. Um, team in 94 95 we put together, we ended up playing at Tottenham. We had it involved uh, Sheringham and Sol Campbell and Darren Anderton wow. and um, Klinsman. Oh, sorry, not not Klinsman. The team I played against was Idealist and Via. The team we took in 94 95 had Klinsman, Sheringham, Sol Campbell, Darren Anderton in the team. And that was a terrific team we built there. Uh, we built two or three good sides at Altrincham, but there was always politics behind everything eventually and we would probably believe we would have won the league in that 94-95 we'd have got a player who was with us at Runcorn called Mark Carter but our chairman at the time decided we'd win it without buying him uh, and then we fell short because we had to play they might be seeing this going on in the next few months to be fair we had to play six games in 12 days at the end of the season um, wow. and basically the players were just absolutely shattered by the end of it and we dropped points that we've been playing on a less regular basis I'm sure we would have picked up and probably won the league but anyway we didn't win the league and uh, the rest as I say was history yeah I mean at that level I can't imagine six games in 12 days that's that's well, unbelievable I'll, I'll, I'll give football. you another stat here this is gospel truth that was 16-12 just to finish the season because we'd been cancellations when I started playing back in the 70s I played three games in four days over Easter we played on the Good Friday against Scarborough. We played on the Saturday against Macclesfield. And we played on the Easter Monday against Norwich. Three games in four days, which is ridiculous. But that's what we did. How, how were your legs after that? And that said, they got slower game by game. That's why I say it's, you can't do it. When people talk about playing more than that, even, even twice a week, shall we say. It, it's not that you can't do it. You can do it. But your level of performance has to and does drop game by game by game because you can't play the intensity or the pace you were playing uh, day after day after day. Yeah. That's why they're going to have to be very careful when people come back in, in this situation because you know there's only so much the body will take. Do you think they will? Do you think, there's, do you think the, uh, let's use the Premier League as an example, the Premier League will get finished? Well, I think they'll start and uh, football being football, being a very, very selfish sport, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see when you get to the last three or four games and people are still in relegation spots that those some of those teams might end up getting uh, COVID-19 symptoms where players then become unavailable <laughs> and won't be able to complete the season. Yes, I think it'll get, yes, right, I think yeah. it'll get going. I think it'll get going behind closed doors and we better watch it on television. Uh, totally different ball game, obviously. But let's see what happens yeah. at the back end of this little season when teams are still thinking, oh, we're going to get relegated here. Maybe wrong, maybe being a bit uh, sceptical there, but uh, I see football a certain way and it's a very, very selfish sport. Yeah. Is that, is that um, developed over time? No, you? No. Did you feel no, that same? It's always been that way. Yeah. It's always been self-interest in football. Always. 
you know, if there were votes were going well, I've just explained to you back in the seventies when when they're about yeah. voting to get into the football league, he obviously voted for themselves. Um, yeah. that, that's always been the case. Uh, it's, it's look after yourself first and worry about the others uh, after. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, you mentioned a few players there um, that you played alongside and played against for different different teams and whatnot. But I want to ask you, if I was to ask you who the best player you played with and the best player you played against, who comes to mind? Well, straight away, I would say I played with a centre-forward at Ultra Runner called John Rogers, who sort of had a decent career in the lower leagues at Wigan in the league and Port Vale. But at the level I was operating at, which is only non-league, I never ever played full-time anywhere. Um, he was a centre-forward. He was terrific in the air. Uh, and I was I was a decent passer of the ball. I could see a pass and I could deliver a ball. Uh, I just knew if, if I put a ball in certain areas, he would get on the end of it. Um, and the, when you when you work with set pieces and things like that, you, you won't you know if, if you put it in an area and someone attacks it and gets on the end of it, people come and say to you, "Oh, what a fantastic free kick or whatever, fantastic ball." But all you've done really is is put it into an area you know someone will go and attack it. And that's what he used to do terrifically well. He was very very strong in the air, scored a lot of goals with his head. Uh, and I think I made my first share for him. Now, the other one that stands out for me, I must I have to mention him, not drop name dropping here. Alex Stepney came and played for us for one season at the end of his career. I mean, been at Man United, obviously, in the European Cup with his side. And what, yeah. why I mention him is he was a goalkeeper and the speed and accuracy of his distribution was, was unbelievable. He was on a different level from us, all sort of thing. He catched the ball and the next thing you know, it's gone. And I used to play out wide as well, or pull out wide. And he just drop kick it right to your foot, and that, that's that's when I, that's when I probably realised that well, all sport, but certainly football, was all about levels, and his level of um, speed of thought was fantastic, and his ability and his distribution and accuracy was unbelievable. So I knew then this is all about different levels. He played at the top level with Man United, obviously. So he's he stood out in mind. Yeah, so John and Alex were both at all. Well, John played for a good few years. Yeah, Alex only played the one season. The one season, then he went off to America, I think, and had a couple of seasons out there. Uh, but, yeah, he came at the back end of his career, probably late 30s when he played at Ultra. And we had a decent season. We got the FA Cup third round that year. We played late in Orient when Alex was in golf. So, so yeah. Wow. It, 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 what about... Play? Go on. I was no, going to say, but you have to see his distribution to believe it. You have to be and you see, well, you do yeah. see it now, to be fair, because the goalkeepers, everybody got Guardiola's done with keepers about having good feet and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, he he was terrific. Most of them were distributed now, to be fair. That's what I was about to say about Guardiola and again, um, actual players in goal, not just shot no, stops no, as it were. He definitely will. When you get rid of Joe Hart, his feet aren't good enough because he's certainly a good keeper. One of Joe Hart, um, that tells you all you need to know. It's, uh, he wanted a different level of distribution in speed and accuracy. And uh, like I say, I understand that. I mean, uh, play with Alex. What about players you um, played against then? Well, it's, again, it's, it sounds like your name dropping, doesn't it? But the best player against played against with a fellow called Ozzy Ardiles, the Tottenham Hotspur. Now he just, yeah. he joined Tottenham Hotspur with a fellow called Via Ricky Via, and they'd just been part of the Argentina World Cup winning side uh, when they joined Tottenham, and we we got we got to play them in the FA Cup third round at Tottenham on a Monday night, and we went there and we drew one one, uh, which was a terrific result. It really was. Uh, and Ardis was playing, and to be fair, didn't do that much. He got, you know, it was a bit physical. The games in our days, a little bit, and he got a bit of stick, shall we say? Um, so he didn't overimpose himself in the first game. So I had a replay, which was played at Man City's main road ground, and I tell you, he yeah. never stood still because he got a bit of physical 
wacky, shall we say, in a, in a few occasions in the first match. He never stood still in the second. He was a massive pitch man City scared at He never stood still and he never played more than one or two touch football. And we got absolutely nowhere near him in that second game. He was unbelievable. And they beat us 3-0 in the replay, mainly because of his, his contribution, his moving of the ball so quickly. He must have gone, I'm not standing still and getting whacked by these part-time non-league lads. Uh, and he was absolutely brilliant. And the other one I will mention, because he wasn't that bad, was a lad called Kenny Dalglish. Play- Kenny Dalglish. Kenny Dalglish. When he played Liverpool. I played at Peralti at Liverpool in 81. That was a, one of the, when we got to the third round, four years running. Dalglish was playing up front. And I'll tell you a true story. Let's talk about organisation. Our manager, Tony Sanders, he said to us, uh, corners against, right, blah, blah, blah. You go where you are. I used to stand on the back post. It was never great in the air. So you're on the back post, great, blah, blah. So one of our players said, Tony, Kenny Dalglish stood on the keeper. No one's picking him up. He said, don't worry about Dalglish. He said, never score. He's a Liverpool scouser, our manager. He never scores from corners, Dalglish. Don't worry about him. I said, OK, fair enough. First corner comes in, he pulled off the keeper and heads it in. So we all, we all looked at our manager and just to say, are you real? Yeah, I mean, he was a world-class player, at least to be fair. Another occasion in the same game, he dropped his shoulder one way and went the other way and left our centre half in the penalty area with about a 10-yard gap or 10-metre gap in this day and age. Yeah, he, was, he, he wasn't bad, to be fair. <laughs> Excellent. You can't uh, worry about um, name dropping because I don't know if you heard Dan Birchall's podcast, but he name dropped for about ten minutes about all the rugby oh, players. Right. I'll, I'll listen to that one. <laughs> Do you know what I listened to just to see what it was all about? It was uh, Young James Villelli. Yeah, and he, I thought he yeah. came across really, really well because obviously he had coached James at football when he was from year seven. Obviously, with Maz and them. Uh, yeah, he came across. Yeah, really definitely. Well. Yeah, they did. Um, you touched on. Oh, actually, no. Well, let's have another question. When you were managing them, um, and you named some of the big names there at Tottenham and so on and so forth, who, as a manager, looking at a game of football, watching the game of football from your point of view, who's the best player that you've played against them when you were at Ulti or one of your other teams? Played against? As a manager? Well, no. As a, as a manager, when you're on the sideline, you're watching your team play. On the side, who's been the best player? That you've seen. Well, I don't really know, to be honest. I don't know how many games I managed. I must have managed an awful lot. But they were mainly just non league games. You know, we didn't really get to any FA Cup big rounds or anything like that. We got to the first round uh, a few times when I was managing. Uh, I thought you played. Um, oh, I played, I played. Oh, no, when I was assistant manager. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, well, we, yeah. Played, we played Tottenham, yeah, in the 94 95. Well, in that side was Klingsman, the German. Uh, Teddy Sheringham. Now, I'll tell you another true story. I went to watch Tottenham before we played them, and up front was Klingsman and Sheringham. And I watched the game, and they had Sol Campbell in that side, and Darren Anderton, and uh, they were a really good side. And I watched the game, and the two strikers, which was Klingsman and Sheringham, were never up front. They pulled off out wide, they pulled off deep, they were everywhere, bar from being centre-forwards. And I went back and I said to John, there is no way our centenars can mark them to. Because if they do, they're going to get pulled here and pulled there and they're just going to open our defence wide open and people will just run through midfield and drive through. And we said to our centre-backs, whatever you do, do not follow them. It's probably sounded to them stupid. Do not follow them. You pick them up when they come in the box or come to the edge of the box. That's when you pick them up. Because if you try and follow them, 
they'll take you into areas of the pitch you don't want to be and we don't want you to be. Uh, and to be fair, our two centre-halves that day, Andy Reid and um, Paul France, who, who, who were the centre-back, they did a terrific... Well, I mean, we lost uh, 3-0. Um, but they did a terrific job, to be fair, because they were both very, very good players. We got back in the game, actually, 2-0. We, uh, we had a throw and we took it, we crossed it and we scored. Everyone celebrating, turned around, the linesman was flagging for the only foul throw of the game. The only <laughs> foul throw of the game we actually scored, I think they would have brought the game back to 2-1. Um, but anyway, they, they beat us 3 0, they were obviously the better side. Um, you mentioned when uh, Ozzy Ardiles came to, to Alta, you gave him a bit of a, a, bit of a kick in and a, a, a bit of a roughing off. And we played away first, that was a white art lane. Oh, um, but it just leads me on to the next question then, because obviously the game was different to what you watch nowadays. Um, who was the Who's the toughest player you've played with or oh, the enforcer? Easy. The best Easy, enforcer. easy. I played with my skipper and a man who was assistant manager, John King. John had his own scaffolding business, was a scaffolder. So, in, in a way, every day he was lifting weights, doing the scaffolding. And he was a ferocious winner. Yeah. I mean ferocious. He just wanted to win at all costs. But he was a leader of men. He was great. Um, and I was okay at this at Trevair. Getting the dressing room together, you know, the camaraderie in the in the dressing room. He'd do daft things, you know, he'd get dressed up. We've had a big game once. We're getting we're getting ready for the game. He takes his kit off. He's got a pair of suspenders on, a knickers, bra. And this is before a big FA Cup game, like, I think, bloody, what's he doing here? But it was about, that was about just taking the tension off and maybe having a bit of a laugh. Um, but he, he was a ferocious winner. Yeah. We go down the tunnel at Altering and we have to go past the away dressing room and he'd bang on their door and get him out here and, yeah, he just he just wanted to win. He could play as well, but he, he didn't get the credit he deserved but as a player. Uh, people just seen him as a tough, ruthless sort of player at times. But he could play as well, to make no mistake about that. And he was a skipper. He came in 1978. And skipper, when, when we went to Wembley, we'd ne- had never been to Wembley. In 78, we went there in the FA Trophy and won it. And that was the first year John had come. And then for the next four years, uh, like I say, we went to the FA Cup and we... We, we went back to Wembley in 81 and a very, very successful side. And he was a catalyst to it all, really, because he just he just drove you on. I mean, I couldn't tackle and not dinner, to be fair, but he made me tackle. And he let you, he let you know in the dressing room if he thought you'd shirt one or something like that. Uh, he just wanted to win. He was, without doubt, the toughest player I played with by a country man. Do you know what he's doing uh, now? Well, he's retired, no, to be fair. His business still goes on in Liverpool. He's got a big scaffolding business in Liverpool, but he's basically retired from it. His son runs it. Cause they, see, I was the youngest. You know, we started at Ultimate 17. I was always well the youngest in the side. Um, so like, I'm 66 coming up soon. So the lads I play with, they'll be early 70s now. Uh, so most of them will all be retired. Yeah. Uh, you'll see him, unfortunately, like everything, when you get to this sort of age and this stage, you, you see people a lot at funerals. But one of the lads we played with died. Oh. We went to his funeral and John, John was there. I mean, you've talked about a lot of um, memories, um, positive memories throughout your football career, but what's been your favourite football memory as a player or manager? Well, or even spectator? Got, got two, really. that play, that as I mentioned it before, playing at Wembley is the most fantastic feeling. The build-up to it, you go up the day before, you walk around Wembley, uh, travelling to the game, I think it was about 30,000 that I finally played in, uh, coming down Wembley Way sort of thing on the coach, you know, the fans are there. And then to win, I mean, I've done both. I've won at Wembley and I've lost at Wembley. And losing was the last minute 
um, of, 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 of yeah. added time. The ball deflected actually off me from outside the block, right in the top corner. So I felt the anger of losing in the last minute when it's not very nice. But to win there is is, is a fantastic feeling. And it, uh, what I enjoyed about it was that we came back. I'll show you another shoot story. We came back um, on the Sunday. We stayed over on the Saturday night. We won. Come back on the Sunday. And we were having a, you know, a tour, you know, through Altrincham Town Centre and down Moss Lane into Altrincham. And we got off the the, yeah. uh, the coach onto an open top bus, but that's what they did in them days. And Altrincham obviously has been a big thing because Altrincham never never been to Wembley. And we got on the bus, the open top bus at the the nag there near the Lim Roundabout. And we travelled down past the Lim yeah. Roundabout down towards the lights at Dunham Massey there. Not a soul. Not a soul on the on the, on the side of the thinking, <laughs> oh my. We're supposed to be like an open top bus ride here. There's nobody here. So <laughs> we carried on through the lights <laughs> into uh into Altrincham. Oh sorry, we turned right the lights, went past the Bowden Hotel near the school and into Altrincham that way, through the lights, yeah. until we just and, and we started a few people started to appear then just past the Bowden Hotel. We thought, Oh, it's not so bad, it's nice, you know, just waving to it. But then it built and built and built, and by the time we got to the lights at what is now Weatherspoons. The the, 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 the yes. streets were like full of people. Uh, we used to go in a restaurant there called Ray Mondo's on the opposite side to where Weatherspoons is now. They ran out with a crate of champagne, put it on the top of the on the top of the bus for us. We carried on down Moss Lane. There were every loads of people right through the town centre. You could turn into Moss Lane then, which uh, we turned right into Moss Lane, and there was people all the way down Moss Lane to the football ground. And obviously, when we got to the ground, there was lots, quite a few thousand people in the football ground. So. It actually was a memorable journey back, but at the beginning of it, we were a, we were a little bit concerned this isn't going to work out very well, but it was okay. And the other highlight has to be, I scored the penalty at Liverpool. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, talk us through that. Beat, I think we were 3-0 down at the time. I've watched, I've actually watched, you know, with a good centre back on this YouTube sort of thing. So I've watched the game. It's like walking pace compared to current day football. But anyway, uh, with three down, we... we the lad called Barry Whitbread get put through. Um, Ray Clements, who then was the England goalkeeper, he come racing out, dived into to Barry Whitbread and uh, he nicked the ball past him, took his legs and referee awarded a penalty at the cop end. Um, and there was yeah. 36,000 there, to be fair, so the cop was pretty full. And I was the penalty taker, to be fair. Uh, so I put the ball on the spot, I walked back and they had a fullback called Alan Kennedy. Played left back for him, and very, very lad he was. Uh, and he came up to me, he went, I bet you're five of you miss. And I went, Okay, yeah, I'll take that. And yeah, I, I went up, I got very, always very, I only ever missed two penalties in my whole life. Um, but I was thrown up and I put it where I always put it. You got to remember in them days, a goalkeeper couldn't move before you kicked it, like he can now. But in them days, he couldn't, you had to kick it before you could move. Yeah. But fortunately for me, Clement dived to his right, I put the ball in the usual spot to the left, and uh, Raised both hands and and ran off towards the the cop uh, to be met with uh, a lot of V signs basically, <laughs> but it's there on film, so it's something I can always look back on. So yeah, that that has to be an island, obviously scoring a game like that. I mean, we we lost four one in the end, and, and they were far better side than us, to be fair. But still a fantastic memory. Yeah, yeah scoring at the cop end, definitely, definitely. Um, moving on now to your your coaching, your managing. Uh, side of things. What type of a coach or manager were you? Were you very personable? Were you matter of fact? What sort of characteristics did you well, take into that, those manager. roles? I used, to, I used to try and get my point across an awful lot with I like to laugh and a joke and I, I'm a great believer in the camaraderie of a, of a dressing room. Um, so I would often say something quite yeah. funny to someone to get the point across to him. Um, uh, 
which often worked. But I like to believe I was a very detailed coach in terms of I used to work very hard on shape and organisation, set plays, things like that. In fact, I was delighted, you know, when I was talking about James Villelli, um doing his talk and he spoke about the dinner time yeah. sessions at school and we'd do what he called technical work, which was basically organisation of set pieces for and against and uh, free kicks for and against, just so that you know what you should be doing. Everyone knows their job sort of thing. Um, so I was very keen on that. Um, and I'm a great believer that if you've got ability and you've got ability, that'll come out, but it'll come out even more so in a good structure. So I used to always try and make sure whatever teams I, I was managing or coaching, everybody sort of knew the jobs. Everybody knew what they should have been doing, where they should be going. And uh, like I say, Tony Saunders was a great manager because he kept things very simply. It's not a complicated game and people tend to make it complicated. Um, but organisation and, and shape and things like that, I think, I think are big in any sport. In any sport, you know what you're doing. If you're just left to go out and do your own thing, if I don't know what you're doing and you don't know what I'm doing, it's going to be chaos at some stage. So yeah, I worked very hard on the organisation. Um, you touched then on uh, James Valali uh, mentioned about your, your your coaching, the work you did with the um, the pupils at AGSB. Um, but I want to ask. What are the main differences about coaching semi-pro adults um, and then school kids? Is one more challenge, more challenge than the other? It's just or... a simple difference. The kids listen to you and the adults didn't. It's basically pretty simple. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> but the kids the kids listen to you at every word, especially the, if you start talking year seven and year eight, they're, they're basically on. And me and Mr. O'Flynn, I mean, we've built up a good relationship uh, together working with the, the kids' teams at school. And we'd have them out on a Friday night, basically year sevens. Well, certainly year sevens and year eights. You can see them just beginning to waver a little bit in year nine. And by the time they're the seniors, they probably don't think I know what I'm talking about. Um, but they listen on your every word and try and do everything you, you ask them to do. Um, you know, perhaps speak a bit later about when we had a final against the national champions, uh, right, Robinson, in one final, and the kids performed terrifically in it. And uh, that's the difference. that They do listen to you, the young guns, and... Uh, when I'm in a dressing room full of fellows, one they all they all think they know better. Two they're probably prancing around, larking about. And I was also very disciplinarian with the adults in terms of I'd have a laugh and a joke with anybody. And but at two o'clock, I used to say to them, "Right, switch on time now. It's time you switch. I don't, I don't I'm not interested in anything else. Yeah. I don't want you to be in anything else. Probably everyone's got problems and things like that. Leave them behind you now. They'll still be there. And you come off the pitch at twenty to five. But for now, we need to concentrate on what we're going to do. And uh, used to get through to the players that way a little bit. Uh, but uh, the kids were different class in terms of they listened. And the odd one or two used to tell me what I should be doing. What? Mm. I won't. I won't name. I won't name them. <laughs> Did you ever? Have... <laughs> no, don't. No, don't. Did you ever have to hand out any hefty fines uh, as a manager? Not really. No. Semi pro football. I, was, I, I used to, especially if the lads were only part time, and the the more you got into it, the longer you were doing it, the, the more it became, when I played football, whatever money I earned was, was let's, shall we call it a bonus, I was working, so anything was over on top, and I used to treat it that yeah. way, uh, it's a dangerous thing when you start treating your football money as part of your income, but I think nowadays it's become that way a little bit, that people yeah. do, even in part time, tend to take, which they do, because they do for mortgages and whatever these days, their income is, is part and parcel now, of what they're, they're, they're earning football wise, which it never was for me, it was always, it was always a bit on top, shall we say. So uh, that, that's a bit of a difference, I suppose. But no, I was very, very reluctant to take money off players. Yeah, very reluctant. Having never been the most purest of people myself, shall we say, in terms of discipline, 
I was always reluctant to take money off somebody else, especially <laughs> if they probably could throw it back at me. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, you, you've you been um, in and around the AGSB Sports Department for a long time now. I just want to ask you um, if you could comment on the the strengths of the AGSB Sports Programme and any potential yeah, areas for development. 2012 now. Um, well, what the, the strength has got to be the diversity of what you teach, to be fair. I mean, you, you've only got to look around the school to see all the different facilities that they've got. And like I say, I used to play all sorts of sports. So to see what these children at the school have that they can actually do and do it to be fair it's not like you're there and you only see two or three kids in a, in a badminton class or a table tennis class or whatever the, the full the full whether it's table tennis badminton so-called minority sports lacrosse is uh well you don't do lacrosse sorry hockey is massive at the school in it which they're really good at um and then you've got your natural football cricket things like that basketball's big at school um it's all there for it if you're a youngster at Ultra and school for boys it's there for you if you want to get involved and to be fair, I have to say that the, the kids at school do get involved. There's usually big, big classes there. Um, what did you ask me about? Yeah. Potential areas of development. Uh, well, well, well yeah. I'm a great believer in smaller groups. Um, probably smaller groups in after school would be helpful, I think, when you're coaching. Maybe A and B team squads, so whatever the sport is. Uh, because I, I believe, I forgot, let's call it a B team lad playing with the A team lads. And it's a bit too quick for them. And it's, the A-team lads know that the B-team lads perhaps not up to the level they're at. Can't play at the tempo they play at. Uh, the B-team lads will be, will be in it, but he probably get very few kicks of the ball um, or touches of the ball. And that that's, can't be beneficial to him. So I'm a great believer in having squads of equalish ability, if you like, so that everybody gets a fair touch of the ball. And you can still do the same things, the same drills. It's just that, the drills will be done at a different um, pace, a different level, tempo. I mean, the boys will tell you, if you spoke to the boys, I was forever going on about tempo, tempo, tempo. Anybody can play football, I call it like a robot, nice and slow and easy and pass it, and it's not a problem. But can you play it where it's bang, 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 bang? Because you play football at the top level, shall we say, and it's the, it's the speed that's the difference. The game's the same, but it's the tempo that you play at. So... I used to work hard on the A-team, shall we say, when we had the actual team that was playing on the Friday night that was going to play on the Saturday and worked very, very hard on the tempo. Don't even worry too much about making a misspass even because it's getting in the air, you're training and you will learn to play the game quicker the more you, the more you do it. It's why you hear people talk about, oh, we train how we play. The intensity of training is just the same as, as, as when we play matches. The Man United players in the past will say, well, the intensity of training was even greater than the actual matches they used to play. Um, so playing at a good tempo is very, very mm. important to to help you. And like I say, if you've got boys who struggle at that tempo, then it's a little bit harsh harsh on them and they, they need to be in groups where the tempo is more suitable for them. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a, a fair comment. I think I suppose it comes down to space, facilities and resources, bodies, really, yeah. having the bodies there to take the, the increase. Yeah, it's a very fair point. Um What's been your favourite sporting me memory uh, then whilst HSP? Before, that, this is a game we lost, which is a bit strange, but we lost. Um, but it was, the, I think there were year eights at the time and we played Wright Robinson in the final, I think it was the Manchester Schools Cup. And they were the National Schools Champions year sevens. They won 7-1 in the National's final. They Two weeks after we played and they were in the National Finals again, I think they played at Coventry or something like that, and they won 5-1, the National Schools final. So they won 7-1 and 5-1. 
oh, we're going to win 5 1. We were playing them in the in the Manchester Schools Cup and we knew they were a very, very good side. They had one boy in particular who was a young man and dominated games. And we worked hard on our organisation and things like that. We played one or two people in different positions than they've been playing all season. And our boys went out and they performed. When I talk about listening and carrying out instructions, everything we'd done, they carried out to the letter. And we didn't argue this right Robinson side a, a game. They went 1-0 up, to be fair. Um, we kept plugging away. We kept our shape, doing the things we'd worked on. And we got an equaliser with about 10 minutes to go. And I thought, the boys, it was, I think nil-nil at half-time. I said to the boy, you've just done absolutely fantastic. You really have. Uh, anyway, 10 minutes ago, and they got a free kick in the last minute. And they took the free kick. And the lad mishit it. And our wall, and we hadn't done this. And this is just something that one of the lads did off his own back, which happens, jumped. And the ball basically trickled under the lad who jumped and into the corner of the net in the last minute. And, and they lost 2-1. Oh. And I'm trying to console them after Wizard because they had done so well. I'm trying to explain to them how much better this team had proved themselves to be nationally for the last two years and probably every year since. Um, it was difficult because they were really, really deflated, the boys, but they were fantastic in that final. And anyone who watched it, I know Ryan was there with us. Uh, and he'd tell you, on the, on the day, that the, the effort they put in to, to a boy was, was unbelievable. Um, so that that's my, my biggest memory. Like I say, yeah. we lost 2-1, but it was a fantastic performance. Yeah. You've had a lot of um, Trafford Cup success, though, as well, with your team as well, haven't you? You've taken quite a few teams we win at Trafford so, as, as well. Tells me, cause we, like I say, we built up a good relationship, me and, me and Mr O'Flynn. I think we were 20-odd trophies in the six or seven years. I mean, it was a nice, it was a nice feeling once. We went to the finals right. at uh, Cannington there because we were playing there at Cannington's training ground. And uh, I think we had four teams in the five finals one year. Um, had a couple of minutes, a couple of buses to take yeah. us there. They had massive game and everything. I think we won two of the finals that in the, of them four that year. Yeah. But to go out on that on that day and four of the teams were winning the yeah. uh, Ultra Ground School for Boys kit was was uh, was really pleasing. Like I say, and uh, you know Brian worked ever so hard with him as well. You know, he's getting them through. He, he wouldn't let them miss training and he wouldn't let them miss games and. Sometimes they didn't want to play on a Saturday morning. He'd then he'd be on to their parents. and Probably mum thought it a bit, bit too much at times. But, uh, you know, we got a good response over the years off the boys who really think. Yeah, they did. We got the job done as well, yeah. No, definitely. Um, all right, then. So, if if money was no object, we had a bottomless pit of funds, what equipment or facility would make the biggest impact on well, improving AGSB sports? 4G AstroTurf and things like that. Well, 4G AstroTurf, I think, would be phenomenal for the sport of the school. Um, one, you'll always play. Well, there's no such thing as an all-weather pitch. I try and say this to people. If you've got frost and snow, you ain't playing, no matter what, you're, what, what it is. But a 4G AstroTurf would enable you to play your yeah. rugby, your football, lots of other sports. Um, so I think that would be a fantastic thing for the school to have. Uh, and the way it's... I mean, I... I been lucky enough to go on tours with the school to Barcelona for quite a number of years. And you go over there and see the 4Gs that them kids play on over there. And it puts this country to shame. It really does. Yeah. Uh, they've had it for years and years and years. So I think if the school could get a 4G, that would be a phenomenal oh, yeah. thing to get. Now, if it can't get a 4G on its own, in its own right, shall we say, um, I'd be looking at putting a 4G on the 2G that we've got, the sand base. Now, that's going to cause... Uh, 
a stern amongst the hockey players because unless you know, they use that and it's a very, very big part of the school, very successful part of the school. But I think you could find hockey pitches across the board and maybe come to some agreement with them or simply where hockey could be played and trained if it was for the greater good, shall we say, of, of more sports being able to play more regularly. Um, but if that's not possible, to put it on the 2G base, because everything else is already there, it's only a case of changing the top, really, um, then I think you've got to invest in your grass pitches. Um, you've got to make them better, even if you have, try and have a showpiece football pitch and a showpiece rugby pitch, shall we say. Uh, but that costs a lot of money to get your grass pitches to the standard yeah. that I'm thinking of. Because don't, make no mistake about it, the better the surface, the better the performance of the people. Uh, so that would benefit the boys without a shadow of a doubt. So that would be my order. No. 4G, a 4G onto the 2G if not possible, or plenty of investment in your grass pitches. Yeah, I definitely agree with the 4G. I mean, it's not just necessarily yeah, the yeah. playing, it's also the ability to train, um, to as well, I mean, you know as well as I do. When we get into the to the December, January, February sort of time, and we're training, rugby training's going on. It's 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 not a pleasant um, experience when we've had the, the 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 wettest winter on record, and it reduces what you can actually do um, in the sessions. But yeah, four G to play and train on would be uh, would be superb for so many different sports. Completely agree. Um, I ask these questions now to everybody that does a, a podcast with me. Um, what advice would you give to a pupil that start that's starting in September about getting the so most the out of HSB sport? Say to is stay off the pitches unless it's a game. Because <laughs> I say to me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The more important thing I'd say: listen to instructions and just give your all. That's all you can say to somebody. And if someone gives their all, there isn't a person in the world can ask for it anymore. So listen to instructions you're given by your teachers and whatever it is you're doing. And just give your all. And I know because I see the results year on year on, you will come out as a successful student from the school if you do that. Now, wise words, very, very true. Um, what three words best describe HSB sport? Uh, intense. I think it's quite intense place, to be fair, um, where people have to work hard. Um, Enjoyable, enjoyable. I look around when I and I go across that schoolyard occasionally when they have the breaks, and I don't see many miserable faces. Uh, you probably would if they, if they weren't enjoying school, but everybody seems to be enjoying themselves. Um, what for said enjoyment, uh, intense, intense enjoyment, and camaraderie, camaraderie. If I can say you've got such a diverse amount of sport you can play and there are lots of other things there's chess clubs and all sorts there's probably baking clubs and all sorts that I don't even know about in the school go on at dinner time um, societies and what have you get involved in something and just just uh, just enjoy your time of it just 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 get involved basically yeah, yeah. I like that I like camaraderie it's a good one um, and then what does HSB, HSB like said, mean to you 2012 uh, we had no cricket wicket we got an AstroTurf put down. We had no grass cricket wickets. We got two of them put down. We would need more of them, to be fair, but we got two. Uh, but what it has done is given me an awful lot of enjoyment. The coaching I've done with Mr. O'Flynn, it's, it's been really enjoyable. Watching the kids grow. Like I say, listening to James Villali was a great example. Uh, I've seen him, obviously, from year seven, a little little fullback in the school team. Never, ever got beat by anybody. And he's probably the smallest kid on the pitch. 
listening and seeing how he's grown, as, as they all do. I mean, I was very intense with this sport, always have been. But I say HSB's calmed me down. That, that's got to be a good thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's been a, been a big, a nice influence yeah. on me in terms of calming everything down. See, seeing me as I, as I go through my older years now, seeing me a lot calmer than I used to be with the sport. Mellowing, that's the word. The kids are mellowing, mellowing. out. That's what they've done. <laughs> All right, thanks very much, Graham. That's been superb. All that leaves us to do now is the 2.6 quick fire round. You'll have 26 questions. You've got to answer them quickly, honestly, and openly. And first answer is final. Upon conclusion, um, you'll just have to, I'll ask you to make a small donation to the 2.6 charity and we'll go from there. Is that okay with you? That's fine, yeah. Okay. First question, would you rather be able to fly or be invisible? Be invisible. I bet. Uh, Meat and potato pie or steak and kidney pie? Meat and potato. Rugby league or rugby union? Uh, Rugby league, unfortunately. (laughs) Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. Beach holiday or skiing holiday? Beach holiday, all day. Pepsi or Coke? Coke, the real thing. <laughs> Swimming or cycling? Swimming. You say women? Swimming. Oh, swimming. <laughs> yeah, swimming. <laughs> women or cycling? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got the option there. You have to be cycling. <laughs> <laughs> Boxing or UFC? Boxing. Man City, Man United? Oh, no danger. Man United. Premier League or Champions League? Premier League. 30-yard screamer or bicycle kick? 30-yard screamer. I've done a few. Hands for feet. (laughs) (laughs) Hands for feet or feet for hands? Uh, Feet for hands. Yeah, far better than my feet than my hands. Skydive or scuba dive? um, I'll go skydive. Clint Eastwood or John Wayne? Oh, John Wayne, always. No one beat John Wayne. <laughs> Mike Tyson or Anthony Joshua? Uh, Anthony Joshua, British. Strongest man in the world or fastest man in the world? Fastest man. World record or Olympic gold? Olympic gold. Score a hat-trick and lose... Or don't score and win. Don't score and win. Press ups or squats. Oh blimey. Press ups. <laughs> Pele or Maradona? Oh Pele. You've have to have seen him. <laughs> Player or manager? Player, always. Always. Now, the last, last few questions, I'll give you a little bit longer to answer. Oh, was they not very quick, then? You were, that was <laughs> mediocre. Mediocre. <laughs> um, Favourite film? Casino. Ah. Favourite band, musician or artist? Shirley Bassey. Really? Yeah, I love her. Goldfinger. Diamonds are forever. That's right. The last book you read? Oh, blimey. 
I don't know. The, the, the Daily Star. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest footballer of all time. Greatest footballer of all time that I've seen live, George Best. George Wrote Best. Wrote upon him. And who is the greatest Olympian of all time? Daley Thompson. Daley Thompson. What number was did he wear on his uh, vest? Can you remember? No idea. Well, no, he had a famous number. Oh, right, thank you what, very what much. What was it? I don't know. I was asking oh, you. Right, okay. No, I don't know. It was... <laughs> I know he was pretty good, though. Uh, thank you. He was. He was indeed. And that's an original answer. No one's, no one said that before. No one said Daley Thompson. There you go. Indeed. Um, thank you very much, Graham. You're welcome. Uh, that's completed the podcast for today. All that leaves me to do, obviously, thank Graham and thanks all the listeners for listening. Please follow AGSB Sport on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, stay safe and take care, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye bye. <laughs>